produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. Sugar is here, the both of us, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Cheryl Strayed. I'm Steve Almond. This is Dear Sugar Radio. Oh, dear son, won't you please share some little sweet days with me? Hi, Steve. Hi, Cheryl. So, I have a story for you. Mmm, yummy, yummy. When I was 24, yes. I was married to my first husband. So it was like 10 years ago, gotcha. That's right. And I struggled a lot in that marriage because even though I loved my ex-husband, I, I always felt like I, you know, I got married too young. I wasn't able to, I didn't want to be in a monogamy or a commitment. And I was often, you know, kind of crushing on other guys and mm-hmm. flirting with other men and so forth. And at one point, I went off to a writer's colony, and I... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. And I was there uh, with a whole bunch... It just so happened that when I was there, the couple months I was there, the other artists in residence mm-hmm. were all women. And there was this one woman. She was a poet, and she was in her late 30s, so about 12 or 14 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And we became friends, and we became romantic friends Mm -hmm. and then we became something else we became lovers and i had never been with a woman before and there i was with a woman it was a really kind of earth-shaking experience for me oh yeah because what it opened up of course i mean first of all i just want to say what surprised me is, you know, I'd never had desire for women before sexually. Mm-hmm. I, I always loved women. I always, you know, felt very intimate. I, I'm a girl's girl. You know, I've always had dear, dear women friends, but I'd never had that lust for mm-hmm. women. And when I met this one woman, the poet, my lesbian lover, um, <laughs> what I felt all right. is all the exact same things I felt for the men I'd previously fallen for. Uh-huh. The, the the feeling of being having that crush was precisely the same, mm. the sort of scary joy, anxiety, tingly, sparkly feeling, you know, mm-hmm. when we had our first kiss. And there was this extra layer of excitement because I was doing something that at 24, I was still like, wow, I'm stepping out of the narrative here, the narrative I had for myself. And even to some extent, you know, that that yes. that the culture was still imposing on me. And more than parenthetically, also an affair. That's right. Yeah. I was also cheating on my husband. But a very particular, you know, this is, it's not just that it was an affair. This is a yeah. major change, shift in identity. Yeah. And it was essentially the affair that finally broke my marriage. And mm. those people who've read my work know that it wasn't the first affair I had, but it was actually the first emotional, like that I was actually mm-hmm. in, you know, having a relationship. It wasn't just like a, a sexual, like one night stand thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that aside, that's a different story. The story that I, really want to tell today is about what happened to me when I became lovers with a woman. Mm -hmm. Because what happened is I suddenly had to ask myself, am I a lesbian? 
Is yeah. is this the reason I'm unhappy in my marriage? Maybe actually, what's wrong is that I want to be with women instead of men. Yeah. And I really had to ask myself that. All my lesbian friends were like, Cheryl's a lesbian. Yay. <laughs> you know, that big to... party we've been planning. There were, literally was a party. Like a, a bunch of my lesbian friends had this potluck and there was this awkward thing where I kept being like, <laughs> you know, actually, you know, yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not sure if I am a lesbian. Yeah. You know, so then I went through this period where I was bisexual. And I guess I would say still I'm bisexual, though I've been in a heterosexual monogamy from now for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. I had to grapple with all of these things. Yep. And this is what we're going to grapple with today. Yeah. We get yeah. all these letters from men and women alike. Yes, we do. Asking these questions like, I've been in this sort of relationship and now I'm desiring this sort of person and it right. doesn't fit. And it goes both ways, you know, from straight people who, you know, people who think themselves straight, right. suddenly attracted to someone of the same gender. I, you know, I also, we're not going to discuss this today, but in my personal life, I also have seen the reverse. I have right. a couple of good lesbian friends who, after decades of being in relationships only with other women, suddenly fall in love with a man. Yeah. You know, we have this idea that the the little binary that we have is you're either you're gay or you're straight you're either in the closet and then the closet door opens you somehow get it open and then suddenly you're you move from one side of the binary to the other Mm -hmm. and what you're suggesting and what we're talking about today is really is there even a closet yeah is there this idea more recent notion of fluidity we get a letter for instance from a woman in her 40s who's divorced who's saying i've noticed over the course of my life and this resonates with so many different other letters we've received that i just have more emotional intimacy more in common with i feel closer to women why am i not choosing them Mm -hmm. it's almost a hypothetical why am i so hung up on this old binary she's asking when people in their 20s are essentially saying well for right now i'm identifying myself as gay or straight. Uh, Another letter that was quite remarkable from a young woman, 24, who uh, has thought of herself as heterosexual her whole life, fell madly and deeply and passionately in love with a woman at age 24. But unlike you, is deeply in love with her and left very confused. What does this make me? Mm -hmm. She's essentially asking. Yeah. You know, what, what we're asking is like, what is intimacy? You know, how important is it that that sort of sexual desire you had innately from the beginning matches eventually, you know, exactly with that person you're going to partner with. So all of these things, we're going to unpack all of this stuff today. Also with a really interesting guest, Mm. we're going to enlist the amazing Maria Bello, who is an actress and activist. She's going to get on the phone with us and help us talk about this issue and answer a couple of letters. In December of 2013, she drew a lot of attention with an essay she wrote for the New York Times Modern Love column Mm -hmm. called Coming Out as a Modern Family, which she later expanded into a book called Whatever Love is Love. And (laughs) and I love, you know, she identifies as whatever. And I want to ask her about this. Yeah, me too. Because because I think a whole lot of us might be there with her. Mm -hmm. Let's give her a call. Let's do it. Hello. Hi, is this Maria Bello? It is. Hi, Maria. It's Cheryl Strayed. Hi, Cheryl. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. I'm here with my co-host, Steve Almond. Hi, Maria. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm great. We both read your Modern Love column, Coming Out as a Modern Family, which now it's a book, Whatever Love is Love. Is that right? That's right. The title of my book comes from something that my then 12-year-old son said to me. 
he asked me if I was in love with anyone. And I kind of gulped and paused because I was in fact in love with someone and it happened to be my best friend who was like a godmother to him who was a woman and he'd only known me with men throughout my whole life. And I decided to tell him when he asked. So I said the name of the woman and didn't know how he would react. And he said, Mom, whether you're gay, lesbian, bi, trans, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. Hmm. Oh, my God. At 12 years old? At 12 years old. So in your column for Modern Love, you you wrote about beginning a, a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship with your best friend, Claire. And first of all, tell us about that experience. And I'm curious if that's the first time that you stepped, you know, out of that kind of idea of who you'd been before uh, in terms of like, you know, being straight or being with men? A few years ago, I was in the hospital for an undiagnosable parasite that was literally eating me from the inside out. Oh, dear. And when I woke up from an operation from that, I saw these amazing people standing by my bedside, my mother, my brother Chris, my son, my son's dad, and Claire, who was my best friend who had become my um, also sexual partner. And I looked around the room and thought, wow, all of these people are my partners, whether I'm having sex with them or not. And Mm. they're all my family. So the column I wrote for the modern love section of the New York Times, I was really celebrating my modern family. You know, I was in, in a relationship with a woman before that who's still one of my very dearest friends. But it's not something I ever really talked about with my son or with other people. And um, they accepted it more than I thought they even would, hmm. you know, specifically my son. Well, he's in this generation that's, I think, really rethinking. I mean, there's so many, the, the, so many of the rules we've cast off, even knowing that word fluidity. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, last year, Facebook or two years added more than 50 gender identifications that you can mark off in your column. And when I looked at them, I thought, oh, my God, I'm at least 14 of these. (laughs) Um, So there there is no way to put myself in a box of just these four little things. And that's why I decided that I'm a whatever. And right now, my whatever looks like I have many partners, most I don't have sex with, but the one partner I do have is a man right now. So my life, again, sexually is fluid. Mm -hmm. But I don't put my sexual relationship above my other partnerships. And I think that's what a lot of people get stuck on, the idea of partnership and that a partner has to be a person you're having sex with as opposed to people you're committed to and are an important part of your life. Yeah. I know I was so struck by your writing about that because I think you're exactly right. Steve and I, you know, we have this radio show together yes. and I'll often say, well, he's like my platonic spouse, you know, and and it, because there really isn't a word we have a friendship but we also have this endeavor together and and there it's is It's a partnership. It is. You know, even in an actual marriage, my I'm married and and my husband and I were all kinds of different partners with each other. We're best friends. We're lovers. We're co-parents. We run the kind of business that is our our sort of family system. And, you know, I think that there are so many uh, different ways of being partners with people that we, we, we neglect. And, you know, before we called you, we were talking about this conversation that a lot of women have, certainly me and a lot of my women friends have had. And we get letters from people who say, wait a minute, you know, I have all these great friends. Why, why can't I, you know, just fall in love with my female friend? You know, and I think that that too is like, 
you know, we, we put this one kind of partnership above all others when those other things really matter too. That's so true. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've certainly met a man who I wouldn't have breakfast with the next day, who I thought I was madly in love with because we had huge sexual chemistry. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think it's the only thing that matters in terms of when you get into a relationship or why you get into a relationship. Yeah. Well, the the for us, I think it's probably we should hear one of these letters because for our letter writers, they uh, don't have the good fortune uh, and uh, great sort of support system uh, that it sounds like your family and various partners were for you and they're both externally and also much more um, gravely internally very conflicted about who they are based on their desires and very hung up, uh, I think, on uh, their sexual desires as the, the definitive marker of what their label's supposed to be. So maybe we should hear this first letter. Okay, I'll read it. Dear Sugars, I've always made the right decisions. I went to college, rarely drank or acted irresponsibly. I graduated, got married, got a good job, and then had a child. Despite these, quote, right decisions, I've always been very melancholy, so much so that it often wore thin on my husband. Recently, I've confirmed my longtime feelings that I am bisexual, and more than likely, a lesbian. This revelation came through my first lesbian experience with my best friend since childhood. She's straight and a single mom who wants to find the right man, but somehow always chooses the wrong one. Here's what happened. After a night of drinking, out of character for me, my best friend told me that she knows I'm a lesbian, and then she kissed me. What followed was a night of intense drunken sex that started in a public bathroom and ended in my guest room at home. It was the first lesbian experience for both of us. My husband was our designated driver, but he has no idea what we did. He's aware of my bisexuality and even once asked if I have feelings for my friend. Early on, he said I could have a girlfriend if it would make me happy. I was aghast and said no. I was wrong to have an affair, but I feel like I finally accepted who I am. I no longer feel like a mistake in this life. I no longer feel worthless and unworthy of love. But at what expense? The betrayal of my family? While my friend and I were having sex, she told me she thinks she's in love with me and that she wanted to be the only one in my life. Since that night, we've tried to go back to normal, but it's no longer normal. At my prompting, we finally spoke about what happened, though she was reluctant to do so. She said she tries not to think about what we did, and that it only confirmed to her that she is heterosexual. I feel crushed, embarrassed, and stupid. I put my family on the line for her. Truthfully, I would have given it all up for her. I have no desire to leave my husband to find any woman to be with. To me, she was the only one. I've never felt more natural and in love, even drunk. But I don't know how to feel about my friend anymore. In some ways, her rejection makes it easier. I don't have to ever revisit what occurred. I will not have another affair, and I can continue life with my traditional family. Yet I'm also hurt that her mere curiosity was fulfilled at the expense of my great risk. I am not an experienced drinker, so I don't know what is natural to occur. How common is gay sex when you're straight? Does a drunk mind truly speak a sober heart? Could she be in love with me? I'm inclined to take her at sober face value. But how can I ever look her in the face again? Sugars, I implore you, please help me make sense of all of this. Signed, Drunk in Love. Well, Drunk in Love, my number one question is, 
did you grow up Catholic? Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that good girl thing yeah. haunted me my whole life, the good girl, bad girl. Um, in the Catholic Church and in other doctrines and religious doctrines, we were taught from an early age what was right and what was wrong. For me, even when I fantasized about a girl or sexually explored when I was a child, I was ashamed and embarrassed. So I get how drunken in love feels. Yeah. And first I want to say in having an affair, you know, you're, you're not alone. About a third of the country admits to having affairs. And they're only the people who admit having affairs. That's right. So That's right. imagine how many there are. I had an affair with a married man for a, quite a while. I'm, I'm certainly not proud of it. I hurt a lot of people I love, um, but I also know I'm not alone. Yeah. So, you know, that's not to say that I think having an affair is the right thing to do. I'm just saying our sexuality is a little more complicated than that. Right. And that she shouldn't maybe beat herself up about it. It's not some some thing that she can't step back from. Right. Well, the great irony here is that she's married to a man who even asked her, do you have feelings for this friend who knew more about her own desires than she was willing to admit and said, I, you know, you can have a girlfriend if that will make you happy. In other words, the person who she's partnered with in a marriage recognizes, uh, as well as her best friend, you have these desires. Mm -hmm. But this woman is really saying, well, I can either have this woman who I love and become a lesbian and lose my family, or I'll just run back to my family and lose this very important friendship, right? And that seems so depressing. Yeah. It seems very depressing, frankly, that you have to choose Absolutely. one over the other. Yeah. We often feel like we need to make a choice in our lives between two things that seem completely antithetical, right? I, I always love Thomas Merton, um, you know, Care of the Soul and Soulmates, two amazing books that I think anyone should pick up, but that the truth lies in holding both things in your hand, mm -hmm. that it's not just making a choice, it's in the gray area. My mom always told me that the most important thing in life would be to see the gray. And, and by the way, when I, when I hear this letter, I think her friend sounds just as afraid as yep. she yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and just because they were drunk doesn't mean that the feelings they shared were untrue because they've known each other for so many years. It's not like it was a one-night stand. Right. So for me, I wouldn't look at it as if she was dumping me or discarding me. She may very well be in love with her and just not know how to deal with it. You know, I, I would suggest seeing a, a good therapist or going to a support group to figure out what it is that she really wants and what would make her happy. Right. I was she talks about being in melancholy. I was plagued with depression for years and it was a terrible thing. Um, yeah. So I really feel for her. And I, and I don't think it affords her traditional family any good if she's living in that sort of pain. And it does sound like she has a good friend and an open minded uh, husband. Yeah. So how great and wonderful is that to know that someone has your back in that way? Yeah. Yeah. I guess one, I wonder what your advice would be, Maria. I mean, she's in this very difficult situation. You know, drunken love, you're really trying to sort of hold these two things within you, like the dogma that you make the right decisions, which means you shouldn't betray your family and, and somehow honor these sudden feelings of deep desire, sexual, erotic, you know, long-term partnership desire that she suddenly experienced with her friend, although I think that it had been building up for a long time. But her friend, and I think you're absolutely right, in reaction to that gets terrified 
Uh, and she's the one who says, you know, she's in love with me and wanted to be the only one in her life. And then, But now, in the sober light of day, her friend is terrified and standoffish. And so what is drunken love to do? Uh, do you have any ideas about how she might be able to hold on to these both her husband and also, uh, you know, this, this good friend, somehow keep them both in her life? My suggestion would be to spend time on her own, with her own soul and heart, whether that means meditating, whether it means, you know, writing every day, spending 10 minutes, really being with herself, whether she can go to therapy or join a support group, to first of all get to what it is that is her truth. And then eventually when she feels more secure in that, because that's the thing that I think that's lacking as a really a partnership and a clarity within herself. Once she gets clear with that, then the next step would be to go to a therapist with her husband on her own with her husband to ask her best friend if she would go to the therapist with her because I find it easier to be more honest when there is a third person in the room, yeah. especially talking being this vulnerable. But the number one step would be to you know get her own house in order, basically. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. And I think... You know, this is a woman who has defined herself maybe for quite a while, like outside of herself. Like she says, okay, well, I've always known that I'm bisexual and most likely a lesbian, but I'm not going to leave my husband because it's to me, this friend is the only one. You know, it's about it's it's really looking outward like her husband. What does he want? What does the friend want? The friend rejects her. And so then now she's not a lesbian anymore. But if the friend had accepted her, she is. I mean, it's you know, it's like it's very I really encourage you, Drunken Love, to to listen to what Maria has said about not thinking about what what your husband wants or needs and not thinking about what your friend wants or needs or what her motivations are, but really thinking about who you are and how you can build a life that makes you feel happy and, and centered. And, you know, there are, it is true. It sounds to me like, you know, you have a lot of great things about your marriage with your husband. And maybe, you know, there, there are all kinds of, we get all kinds of letters from people who have you know, been sexually fulfilled outside of their marriages, right? You know, a marriage doesn't have to look only one way. And that's what I think fluidity is all about, is saying, I'm going to be the agent of my own life. I'm going to define what intimacy means to me. And, um, you know, that we get the idea that we get to rebuild that, I think, begins with knowing the, you know, oneself. Yeah. I think it's so important drunken love for you to hear this. I know it feels like everything's coming apart at the seams, uh, but you know, you're know you having a collision between those two stories, the one about who she wants to think she is or she wants the world to think she is, the good girl who makes the right decisions, and the person who she knows herself to be, which is somebody with very confusing and, and in her own mind, contradictory desires and impulses. And so you're in a state of confusion, but that's your invitation to not say anything more to your friend or your husband and then I feel really confused right now Mm -hmm. and I need some help Mm -hmm. and I need you guys to consent to not announce what we are or what our relationship is going to be, but just help me sort it out. Please help me sort it out. And most importantly, drunken love, have compassion for yourself and don't beat yourself up anymore about the good girl, bad girl. Um, We're all very complicated human beings and the more that we face ourselves and our truths and our souls, the Uh, better we can love ourselves and others.
The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. So let's go on to the next letter because it's got that word shame in it. That's right. It's another corker. Here we go. Dear Sugars, I'm a 36-year-old man. I'm married to a lovely woman. We have a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. I have a thriving career, and we have a wonderful life. Not a day passes that we aren't told what a beautiful family we are. Everything appears to be okay from the outside, but in reality, my marriage seems all but over. The problem is... I am gay, or at least bisexual strongly, tending towards gay. I haven't always been this way, I don't believe. My wife and I first started dating a decade ago. Back then, I considered myself straight. In hindsight, I may have been bi-curious, but nothing more. I've always heard that gender and sexuality was fluid, but I never really believed that, or at least I paid the idea no mind until five or six years ago. My current reality is, of course, a big problem in my marriage. My wife and I don't have a sex life anymore, mostly because I can't get into it. I wasn't able to communicate this change in my sexuality with my wife because I was confused and ashamed. Instead, about a year ago, she checked my internet browsing history, and you can imagine what she found. Her reaction was shock, hurt, and betrayal. My reaction was further confusion and shame. Since then, I committed to therapy and discovered the source of my shame, being raised in a culture of religious homophobia, mostly, and I'm slowly working through it with the goal of achieving total transparency, acceptance, and a healthy degree of self-love. I now know I owe this to myself and to the people around me. Sugars, my wife and I truly love, respect, and appreciate each other. We're best friends. We work together in businesses we own, co-parent amazingly together, and laugh together. But we don't have sex. We don't even share the same bed. I wasn't always gay, but now I want to be with men. I know this, but I don't know what to do with this reality. As you can probably guess, I am not out. This is something I will deal with in good time. My wife loves our life as much as I do, but we are both so lonely in a way that we can't help each other with. My wonderful therapist has suggested separation counseling for my wife and me because she says we both deserve to have fulfilling love lives. She also tells me that we can remain in a non-traditional marriage if that works for us, but I don't believe that will work for my wife. She is a good-hearted, traditional sort of gal. I cannot believe that this is now my story and the story I wrote for my wife. I'm still ashamed of that. I don't know what my options are from here, I've never heard of someone else in this story, so I feel in uncharted waters without a paddle. While I'm working through the shame, the confusion only festers. Please help, Sugars. Signed, Ashamed and Confused. Boy, my heart heart hurts to read this letter. This is somebody who's really suffering. And I think that already our discussion, I'm just going to go right there, is this, this paragraph... My wife and I truly love, respect, and appreciate each other. We're best friends. We work together in a business we own. Yep. We co-parent amazingly together, and we laugh together. 
but we do not have sex. We don't even share a bed. And I think this is really interesting in light of what, Maria, you just said about there are all kinds of partners. Ashamed and confused, you are a partner with your wife. And I do think you need to transition out of this traditional marriage you have. Whether that means divorce or not is, is up for you to decide. But obviously, you don't have to lose every aspect of this relationship by changing it. You now understand that you're gay and you want to be with men. That's some that's some clarity you didn't have before. And that's a gift. And that doesn't mean that everything has to be destroyed with this woman who you do love and respect and, and share a friendship with. So I would say, you know, this is a big leap. It's a hard thing to do to make these transitions. It's not going to be easy. But it's not as if in rewriting your story, as you say, everything needs to be destroyed. Yeah. I'm with you 100%. And it's the whole idea of not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. yeah. Your wife sounds like a, a wonderful partner and person in so many ways, whether you're sleeping in the same bed or not. And change is hard. Yes, it's hard. But being honest and getting to the other side was one of the most freeing things that I've ever done. And by owning all of my partnerships equally, whether they were sexual or not, I have to say I've built a bigger, even more beautiful family. And I believe with that sort of honesty and moving on and really owning your truth that you will discover the same thing. That's right. Well, you've written about also being not just co-parents uh, with with the father of your son. So you, the two of you were together, right? At some point you were lovers. And, yeah, for and, seven years. And now you're friends. Is that true? You're friends? Partners, even. This morning, my son was going off to soccer camp. My son's dad and his new fiancé were here at 7.15 a.m. with coffee for me. We all packed together, took him to the airport, and vacation together and hang out together. We live in separate houses, but we are all co-parents. And, you know, now Jill is his, you know, new stepmother. And it's kind of like the more love, the better for a kid. So I'm really fortunate in that. And it sounds like from the way that he's written this, that he has quite a beautiful relationship with his wife. And this is a good chance that they could have something like this. Yeah. I agree. It's interesting, you know, Vonnegut always talked about this, the way in which modern American society culture is really um, sort of forsaken the way that human beings are supposed to live, which is in sort of smaller unit, maybe, you know, dozen to a hundred people with the roles essentially being much more fluid. You did, you had a mom, a biological mom, but you also had aunties and friends and others who were around. And there's just a distribution. There's lo- love coming from lots of directions without a lot of labels about, well, who's the step parent and am I, or am I straight or am I bisexual? I need to get it straight so the world will understand what I am and therefore somehow I'll understand what I am. And that's nonsense because in both of these letters, ashamed and confused in the you know in the first paragraph he's saying we have a beautiful family everything uh, appears okay from the outside everyone tells us how beautiful the picture on the mantle is basically mm-hmm. it's it's the same version of what drunken love is saying i need to make these right decisions because from the outside if it looks good enough i'll i'll just fake it until i make it and then somehow inside i'll feel that i know who i am and what my desires are and who my various relationships should be and what we see is that breaks over and over in our letters maria we see that idea of it looks great from the outside i've made the quote unquote right decisions 
it, it doesn't work on, from the inside. And I would also say just to you, ashamed and confused, please consider that three very powerful things are happening at the same time, just for the sake of your own self-forgiveness. You have a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. Cheryl and I and Maria can speak to the chaos and intense pressure Mm -hmm. of having a family system with two kids that age. Oh, my God, they're both within range of the psychopathic three-year-old toddler. That is like, so so that's thing one. Thing two, to quote, Dr. Seuss, is that you're mourning the loss of a loving marriage, traditional kind of marriage, Mm -hmm. and realizing that your wife is maybe going to be able to accept a new paradigm, but maybe not. And that will mean the loss, disappointing and hurting her. And and that's powerful because you love her deeply and you want her in your life. And then you know, thing three is the shame and confusion about coming out to yourself after so many years of really trying to fake it as a straight guy in a happy, beautiful marriage. Any one of those things on its own would be tremendously difficult. All three of them happening at the same time, you need to take the most giant Advil of self-forgiveness in the world. Yes, absolutely. A great therapist of mine had this exercise that he taught me that I use sometimes. I don't know if um, you live near any body of water, but it was about going into the water, and even though it's cold, even though waves might be coming, you keep walking and you just say, bring it on, Mm. bring it on, meaning all of the truth. Let it wash over me. I know it's scary. I know it's cold, but bring it on because you know eventually that will calm down and your body temperature will adapt and you'll be still and free and more comfortable. That's beautiful. It, it's, yeah. it's fascinating because you look at the language in this letter and he says, I've never heard of someone else with this story, which is nonsense. Trust me, ashamed and confused. We know lots of people with your story. And then he yes. says, so I feel uh, in uncharted, uncharted waters, waters without, without a, a paddle. paddle. It's like, well, no, you don't need the paddle. That's right. He's You're using your water metaphor right there, right. Maria. You know, so Maria, I loved that vision of you and your ex and your son, the son you co-parent and his, and, you know, your ex's fiance and all of you packing for camp. I, I think that that's, you know, the destination. That's, that's where we're hoping Ashamed and Confused will go. Yep. But I do want to say to you, Ashamed and Confused, that of course there's pain along the way. And there's a reason, Maria, that you had to go into the water and say, bring it on. And, and yeah. that, you know, you don't just get to that place of, you know, it being easy and, and, and bright, you know, to, to have this non-traditional family without, I guess, some struggle. So I wonder if you could share with us, you know, was it difficult along the way? How did you transition out of your partnership with your your ex-husband? I don't know if you guys were married, but, the, you know, the father of your son. Can you talk about some of the dark and painful and aspects of it that were full of, uh, you know, some struggle? Yes, though I've always understood in a way in my heart the fluidity of relationship, having a child with someone was a whole new level yeah. because it was always about, oh my gosh, if I make this decision, it's going to hurt my child because we don't want to do anything to hurt our children. But mm-hmm. at the same time, over and over again, I hear if you're not happy, your kid's not going to be happy. So it was about making that that choice, and it was horrible. It was horrible at the end, I have to say. There were years of misgivings and mistrust, but the thing that Dan and I had was we always decided to put Jackson first. Mm -hmm. We always knew that for us to fight over Jack, for us to talk badly about each other, was not going to serve Jack at all. 
and um, to have that same focus on your child really helped us to heal and continues to do so to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think without that, I'm not sure that we would be such close friends. Yeah, absolutely. So I think ashamed and confused thinking about that too, you've got these two kids, you and your wife, you have so much that's good together. And thinking about making this transition with as much love as possible will serve you, not just you, but serve your kids for and, years to come. Yeah. W- one big hopeful sign here is that Ashamed and Confused has what sounds like a very good therapist who has suggested counseling for his wife yeah. and him. And that feels exactly right. You know, the, the you give yourself the best chance of being able to be fully honest with your wife and explain who you are and what's happened inside of you and how much you want her to remain a part of your life and to parent together and maybe even be in, if she's open to it, a non-traditional marriage. And if she's not, to be loving and effective Mm co-parents. That is most likely to happen. That's the most likely outcome with a good therapist helping guide you and allow you to be honest with one another at times where oftentimes we just want to retreat from that because it's painful and disruptive. Yeah. And I want to say too, uh, ashamed and confused, is your, your wife, you know, she didn't want you to be gay. Uh, but you are. And with mm. with that truth between you, uh, honestly, she is going to be happier probably if she also gets to now. You know, I mean, in some ways, there's there are parts of your letter that I feel like what you're ashamed of is that you had to burden your, your wife with this truth of who you are. And I want to say ultimately that the truth is always a gift, that um, if you had tried to hide that truth from her, it would be a far greater burden than the truth would ever be. And so that she will someday... Once you guys transition beyond this, she will find love. She will find those next adventures that she needs to have when it comes to intimacy and sex right. and desire and love. Right. And this smart therapist has said, you both deserve fulfilling right. love lives, right? But I just want to just amend one thing just slightly, which I think I'll ask Maria to respond to. You know, ashamed and confused, you've written, I am gay or at least bisexual, strongly tending towards gay. And what's interesting to me is we do have this idea, this compulsion, especially in American modern culture, to say you're this or you're that. You know, figure it out and then let's keep your identity static in that state so everybody knows what to call you and think of you. And I think what's important about I am gay or at least bisexual strongly is we don't know. And he shouldn't have to know that he's right now. It's clear that he wants to have men as sexual partners, but it might be that that will shift in the same way. It it might not. But I think that idea of, oh, well, he's just out of the closet now is part of the trick we're playing on ourselves, that you can only be one thing or the other. And, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, the scales fell from your eyes. And this applies to, to drunken love as well. Part of what's freaking her out is that she stuck herself in this binary. Oh, now I'm a lesbian. Oh, no, 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 that's too frightening. I might not get that or it's too unsettling. So now I'm straight again. It's like, hold on a second. You are what you are at this moment. Your desires are what they are at this moment for this possible partner. And they could change over time. And the world's just going to have to increasingly deal with that and try to accept it. That's right. I I like to say in the end that the only labels you should have are the ones you give yourself. You know, he wants to call himself bi, bi bi-curious, non-conformist, gender fluid. He gets to decide. And that's the ultimate freedom. Hey, it's been so fantastic talking to you. And thank you for taking the time to offer your story and your insight and 
you, you've been brilliant. Well, thank you so much for having me. You're doing such a great service to the world by bringing up conversations that we all think about and nobody really talks about. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Bye, Maria. Okay. Take care. All the best. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. That was wonderful. That was... And enlightening. You know what I have to say? Huh? Whatever. Whatever. She's that would a, be the worst, the cold of whatever. She's a really uh, cool woman. I, I Really wise woman. I love... I want to just run out into the river and say, yeah. bring it on. Bring, bring it, it on. on. You know, I'm always talking about water in, yeah. in my writing and in my life. And I've so many times done rituals by the water. And I, mm-hmm. I want to say to both of the people who wrote us today, Ashamed and Confused and Drunk in Love... That, you know, really at the heart of the advice has to do with that kind of, you know, getting quiet with yourself yeah. and finding out what your truth is. Yeah. Okay. And I think that that's, you know, for me, when I was in that moment, you know, when I was 24 and my marriage was coming apart and I was, I was devastated. I brought on all my own troubles. I never quite articulated the idea that I didn't have to be anything. Yeah. I could just be me. And I think that that's what we're trying to say to these letter writers today, yeah. is that you get to be who you are. You get to define the shape and the nature of the, the partnerships and the love that you have for all the people in your life. It's interesting, in a sense, what's happened is that there's been this tremendous confusion that's welled up inside of these letter writers and so many letter writers that we hear from who are struggling with this question of what are my desires? What am I supposed to call them? How If they've shifted, how do I deal with that? It's like the waters are rising. They're feeling like, oh, my God, I'm going to be underwater. And what we're suggesting is actually what's happening is a baptism, okay? Uh-huh. And hopefully the idea is you come out the other side feeling at least a little bit saved. Mm-hmm. All right, I need to do a fluid credit here, okay? Okay. These are the these are the credits. So Dear Sugar whatever. Radio, whatever is, you know, produced as kind of a doctrinaire word. We are in partnership with, we are in discourse with, in communion with WPUR. Uh, we're produced, we're in ed- edited, we're enabled, we weep with, we laugh with our partner, Lisa Tobin. We're recording in this beautiful city full of potential partners, all of whom seem to be tattooed, Portland, Oregon. (laughs) Our engineer is Josh Millman. Our theme music is produced by the Portland band Wonderly. Interestingly, all of them fluid. None of them them precisely gendered. They're wonderly. They're they're wondering about a lot of things. That's right. Listen and subscribe on iTunes. Become our oral partners, if you would. Whatever. Whatever. And if you like the show, please leave us uh, an iTunes review. It could just be one word, a, a word like... Whatever. Exactly. It's very helpful to us. And also, please write to us at dearsugarradio at gmail.com in whatever state of solidity or fluidity you're in. And also, uh, we do have this Twitter handle. Yeah, uh, the kids use this thing called Twitter. That's right. And it's, they actually, the kids don't even use it anymore. It's They're called, on to something yeah. else. But the old people use it. And our handle is Dear Sugar Radio. Is it even called a handle? Whatever. Whatever. Whatever.